G'day, and welcome to the Fasting Highway Podcast, the podcast that's all about intermittent fasting. I'm your host, Graham Curry from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilograms or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and have successfully maintained that weight loss. I'm also the author of the Amazon category best-selling book, The Fasting Highway, which will give you a great insight into what it's actually like to live it day to day, how to get started, what it's about, what are some of the health benefits that come from it, and how to turn it into a successful long-term lifestyle. In this series of podcasts, you'll be hearing from people from all over the world, from the beginners to the experienced and those that are on the journey. You'll also be hearing from some leaders in the intermittent fasting community, and you'll also be hearing from some past guests as we recheck in to see how they've been going. And thank you for joining us here on the Fasting Highway. Enjoy the show. G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast, and this is episode 107. And just before we get to today's exciting guest, I just wanted to give a big shout out to the Fasting Highway Facebook group. I've uh, grown to some 5,000 people there or over that now in some 71 countries around the world and there's 100 cities represented there. So there's always somebody there 24-7 in the Fasting Highway Facebook group to help you get started on your journey and offer some explanations and any questions that you may have. So come and join us there. Also, folks, uh, as you heard in the intro at the beginning, if you are interested in my story, uh, you can get that in my book, The Fasting Highway, uh, and that's available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle. Okay, let's get to today's guest, and we're going to be speaking with Laurie Whitman. And Laurie is from Hortonville, Wisconsin, in the United States of America. And Laurie is married. And Laurie had a lot of trials and tribulations, like a lot of us, with weight throughout her life. And then it was a catalyst moment when she saw a photograph of herself, which set her on her journey to a healthier life. So here to tell us all about that is a very inspiring Laurie Whitman. Oh, g'day, Laurie, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for contacting me. I, I'm, I'm going to love this. This is awesome. Oh, it's my pleasure, Laurie. So, Laurie, for those out there that may not know you around the world, if you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of history and a bit of your backstory about health and your weight and that sort of thing and how you actually found your way to finding intermittent fasting. Sure. Um, I started out like probably most women. Um, my childhood was I was of a normal weight. I never really had any weight problems, never really thought about it. Um, I was raised in a house where you uh, ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, you never had really any snacks because um, if you wanted a snack before dinner, mom would say no, wait for dinner. If you wanted a snack after dinner, she'd said, you should have ate your dinner. I mean, once in a while we'd have some ice cream or something, but there was never snacks. Um, going out to a fast food restaurant was maybe once in a blue moon, like maybe for a special um, trip we were taking, a long car ride or something, and we really had no other options. Maybe we'd stop for fast food, but it certainly wasn't a daily thing. Um, I went through high school just fine, um, got married, and all through high school, I was about 125 pounds, just like a normal average kid. Got married, had some children, and with each child, I gained a few pounds, and I probably got to like 165 or so when I was pregnant, 
And those pounds, you know, you lose a little bit, but you always retained a few pounds from every every baby. And then um, I did go through a time where I lost weight back when um, my my third child was born, and my husband and I decided we were going to get fit. <laughs> and I would get up at like four in the morning, and him and I would go work out two hours a day, cardio and lifting weights, and I really enjoyed it. I got really, really fit. I got down to like 17% body fat, 120 pounds, and I felt like so strong and so awesome. And then I took a desk job. I I took a different job where I didn't have that opportunity to go work out every morning, and I got horses. So with the horses, you're still exercising and things, but you also have chores to do every day. So I just had too many responsibilities at home at that time, and I quit exercising. And I I started working, and little by little, I put on the you know the weight back on, and I never really paid attention to it. I'm not a. I was never a yo-yo dieter because I just never really had the willpower to diet. I wasn't interested in dieting. Don't tell me what I can't eat. That was like the biggest thing for me is I can't stick to anything. And I just didn't want to be told what to do. So I never dieted. And so I just got to the point where it was kind of like, well, this is my life. This is how it's going to be. I'd go for doctor's appointments here and there. And they'd say, well, you should probably lose a little weight. But they'd never really tell you how to do that. It was just a suggestion. Then uh, a couple years ago, I got poison ivy. And this poison ivy got into my system. And it just kept coming out everywhere. And they would put me on stair on a steroid prednisone, I think it was called. And I gained like 10 or 15 pounds with that. And that stuck. And so um, what took me to finally look for a solution to lose weight was um, a friend of mine posted a picture of me on, of me on Facebook. And I couldn't believe that was me. I was like, wow. I really am not doing myself any favors here. I felt like I looked unhealthy. And so that was kind of like the clincher. Like if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to have to do it now because I was over 50. I was like 50. I just turned 58. So I would have been like 57. And I thought it's now or never. So I started looking on YouTube. That's where I go to for educational things. And I don't know if it was luck or if it was uh, divine intervention, but I came upon Dr. Jason Fung's video, and you know the rest of that story. He made the science behind what happens when we eat too frequently and raise our insulin. And so I listened to him, and most times I'm such a procrastinator. Like, if this is something I don't think I'll be good at or I don't think I can do it, I don't do it. But once I put my mind to something like, I could do that, Then look out because now I'm ready to do the research and I'm going to go all in. And that's what I did with intermittent fasting. I just went all in. Okay. So just we'll go through your stats for a start, Laurie. So when did you start? Uh, Sort of, if you don't mind sharing, what sort of weight were you? Your height, people like to know those sorts of things. Um, The highest I was at was 161, which was right about the same weight I was when I was pregnant. So that was... You know, I'm watching the scale, and I remember the day I went over 150, and I was like, ugh, you know, anytime you go up, like, to another 10 level, it's like, dang it, and there was just no coming down ever. It was only going up. 
And then, so I was at that 161, and I'm five, four, five, four and a half, something like that. So you're sort of a smaller frame person, and mm-hmm. I guess when you sort of read read the research around intermittent fasting and that, was it more of a case that you were not only chasing the weight loss but also the health benefits? I didn't know it at the time. I was really yeah. doing it for the weight loss, and I, I've had tons of health benefits, but... You know that those were perks, which now I will, you know, go into it more. While why I will stay fasting for the rest of my life because I started for the weight loss, and now I'm in it for the health benefits. Now that I realize what they are, yeah, like so many people are. And it was interesting in your backstory there. You mentioned that catalyst moment where you saw that photograph of yourself. And you thought, well, I've really got to do something about it. And a number of people that actually do start a health journey when they see a photo, I've interviewed a lot of them on this podcast. And I think that is a shock too. I know I've seen a lot of photos of myself over the years. I've traveled a lot of my work life and everything. And I've always saw photos of myself. And it just got to the stage where I never really thought, looking at myself, I knew I was huge and I was big. But until you get that one photo, you just go, wow, I need to do something. But with the protocol when you started, Laurie, when you started fasting, what were you doing and how did you actually choose that fasting protocol? Well, um, I followed uh, Jason Fung and I also um, got into um, listening to podcasts of Jen Stevens as well as yourself, Um, read all the books. Fast Beast Repeat and the Obesity Code. And so I wanted to, I, I always want to be successful when I start doing something. So I didn't want to go all in where I thought I was going to be unhappy or deprive myself or starve to death, which I know now is silly. But I started um, with 16.8 because I thought that would be um, enough time to fast to see if it was going to work or not, but it wasn't going to be so drastic that I wouldn't be able to do it. And I thought I would see then um, if it worked. Well, I started with a 16.8 and I didn't gain any weight, but I wasn't really losing too much either. So I quickly went to like 18 or 20 hours. And once I got to 20 hours, that's when I would start to see weight loss and I was in the beginning I was losing like two pounds a week and then it went down to a pound a week and I lost um almost all of it within four months I know that's not the average like a lot of people wait you know have to have to go through a few months before they see that but I think it's partly because I was never a dieter so my my suddenly not eating something I think was just a such a drastic change to my system that it just it it did it did work out quickly for me and so I saw that press that progress right away and that success right away so that was all the motivation that I needed to keep going um my eating window I don't really focus on I it varies day to day what I have going on if it's a weekend I tend to have longer windows um, of eating during the during the week, I I don't really eat breakfast or even lunch anymore. I'm more of a OMAD one meal a day on the weekdays, and then um, I'm more flexible on the weekends. So, like I said, I don't really I don't really have a number in my mind for my eating window. It's just that I make sure I always get to 16 hours fasting 
and I don't go less than that ever. Like that's my, my line and I, I can go more, but I won't go less than that for the fasting part. You guess you become more of an intuitive faster as times goes on. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people, but let's just talk about your OMAD for a minute. When we talk about one meal a day, I know for myself is something that I do, but when we say one meal a day, what I do is it's more of a restaurant style where I'll have a snack and then I'll wait for a little bit, then I'll have a main meal. Similar to like going out to a restaurant. Is that what you do or you just sort of have one sitting a day and that's it? Both. Um, sometimes I will, if I don't eat lunch at work, I'll just eat. I'll come home and my husband's uh, semi-retired now and he thankfully you, um, we'll have some dinner ready for for us when I get home and I'll just sit down and eat that meal and then I'm done. Like sometimes it'll be a half hour I eat and I'm done. Other days I'll be at work and uh, my coworkers, I have fasting with me. So it's been really fun. But sometimes one of us will have a, have a hard day or something. They'll say, ah, oh, let's get, let's treat ourselves to lunch today. And then I'm okay, let's do that. And um, like today we had uh, lunch and um, I said to the other girls, I said, I can't believe I ate half this sandwich and I'm full. Um, la- the year before when I wasn't fasting, I was in this habit of going to the uh, gas station a block from school where I work. And I would say, it's Quick Trip, it's called here. I'd say, I'm going to Quick Trip. Does anybody want anything? And, oh, we would just eat, you know, drink the big, big buddy. It's called a big glass of soda, which is probably like almost a liter of soda, you know. And then we'd have sandwiches and um, the deep fried cheese sticks and all this stuff. And it, that, that was my habit. And And I realize now that the more you eat, the more hungry you are because I would eat in the morning then, too. And I think, well, I have to eat enough breakfast so I'm not starving by lunchtime. So I would eat breakfast that I wasn't even really hungry for. I was just eating it in advance to not get hungry for lunch. And then at lunch, I would go eat this, um, you know, not, not great lunch. And now I don't eat breakfast and I hardly ever eat lunch. So I'm saving money and I'm losing weight and I'm feeling so much better and then by the time I get home to eat that dinner my husband made it taste a hundred times better I just think everything is so much tastier because I'm appreciating what real food tastes like I'm I'm you know I I think about all the different foods in the grocery store and I had a aunt Shay she lives out in Massachusetts and she came to visit me one summer and I took it as such an insult when she said to me, Lori, you're really, you're really putting on weight since I saw you last. And it, it just hit me like, what am I supposed to do about it? You know, and she tried so hard to teach me at that time and I wasn't ready to listen. And that's why I don't really push fasting on people. I'm here to tell them about it and hopefully someday they want to know about it, but I don't push it because I know it, it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't work. At that time, she was trying to push the idea of real foods on me and what the difference is. And she would say, you know, when you go to the grocery store, only buy things on the outside row. That's real food, your dairy, your meats. Anything on those inside rows is not real food. That's just something made in a factory. 
And I laughed at her because I'm thinking, that's ridiculous. You know, and now I realize she's right. Like any anything in, in the store is basically something made, manufactured in a, in a factory, and it's not even real food. So why we get so addicted to that versus real food, I don't understand. But I understand my Aunt Shay now. So she was one of the first ones I contacted when I lost weight as I had to send her a picture to say I'm listening now. Yeah, your aunt sounds like a very smart person. That's all I can say. And a, a big shout out to her and a thank you very much for that wise words because when I first started, I soon learned that the damage was being done for me personally in the aisles. When I started realizing and shopping around the perimeter of the supermarket or the big box stores, as you guys like to call them, everything became much clearer. And, and I went, especially when I started eating a lot of food that wasn't in a packet. And then it became so much easier and the weight really started falling off me. Laurie, I also wanted to talk to you about your eating window. You mentioned there you gravitated towards that high quality food. When you first started, were you eating all the things or did you sort of get that straight away about the high quality worthy window? I knew you were going to ask me this, and I, I, you know, I just said I'm going to have to fess up, and I'm going to have to admit that I really haven't um, restricted, restricted anything from from what I can have. Like I said, I don't, I don't go for the the cookies and the chips and all that kind of stuff in the packages so much, but I still don't tell myself no, I can't have something either because. That's just going to make me want it all the more. Like, I love pizza. And I know pizza is not my thing because every time I eat pizza, I wake up in the morning and I have such horrible inflammation. But it's like I now I know it used to be back before I was fasting. This is one of my NSBs, but we'll just talk about that one right now. Um I was always, I always had so much inflammation and I didn't know what that was. I would just wake up. And I would say to my husband, because I didn't realize it was diet-related, I said, oh, I'm so puffy. You know, I'm so achy. I get up out of bed, and I feel like I'm 80 years old. This this just sucks. I wonder what's wrong with me. And now I know that it was it's, it's the foods that I eat. So, you know, I don't restrict everything, but yet now my my body's telling me, that's not one you should be eating. So sometimes I'll eat a pizza, but I know that I'm going to pay for it the next day. So I still do eat sugar and I still eat carbs, but I'm learning little by little which ones I should say maybe not so much to or, you know, I watch it somewhat, but not totally, to be honest. Yeah, and there's nothing to fess up about. I mean, we live in a guilt-free lifestyle. I mean, hey, I love pizza too. I just I just don't buy it from the fast food stores anymore. I haven't been in one for four years. I basically make all that sort of stuff at home now. If I want a hamburger, I'll make the meat from scratch. I'll do all of that, and I know what's in it. Um, I just don't buy the highly processed stuff at the fast food stores, and it's, it's a lot of fun doing it as well. But we talk about the non-scale victories, which you touched on there, and the health benefits that a lot of people come to fasting for, or they come for the weight loss and they stay for the health benefits, as you mentioned. So let's run through some of those, and I believe you had a fairly recent one too, which is quite significant. I did. I, um, I actually sent Graham a message tonight before our podcast, and I said I have the biggest NSB non-scale victory um, that I've come across so far, and it's uh, to do with sleep apnea. I um, 
way back in 2008, I had a sleep study done. And they said I had mild sleep apnea and don't worry about it. Don't worry anything about it. And so, and then around uh, 2017, I was having hot flashes at night, which I thought was menopause. Um, I would get up like six times a night to go to the bathroom. I couldn't sleep. I just had a horrible time sleeping. So I had another sleep apnea test and um, that one came out that I had now had moderate sleep apnea and needed a CPAP machine. So um, it was devastating to me that I was going to have to sleep with this machine all the time. But I did it, and um, it did help me. And so that was four years ago. And just since um, I lost the weight, I, I had it in the back of my head. My doctor had said to me, she said, you have a narrow airway through your nose. You have a deviated septum, and that's why you have sleep apnea. A lot of people have sleep apnea because of um, having too much weight because you have a thicker neck and things get blocked off in your sleep and you can't and you wake up because you're snoring. And she said, you just have a narrow airway. She said, I don't think yours really has a lot to do with your weight. But if you ever do lose weight, we could always check you again. And I remember at the time thinking, well, I'm never going to lose weight. You know, that was just like not even on the radar for me at all. So just recently, I've been saying to my husband, I'm like, I can't stand sleeping with this machine on. I said, I feel like I can't, I, the air is not even going anywhere. And I've been ripping it off and sleeping without it. And I sleep so much better without it. So I'm going to give it up. And my kids were like, Mom, you can't just quit using your CPAP machine. You know, your dad's not a doctor. You can't just listen to dad telling you you don't need it. So I thought, fine, I'll go to the doctor and have another sleep study done. So I went to the doctor, and she talked to me, and she said, well, look at you. You're a, you're a normal BMI. <laughs> she couldn't believe it when I walked in the door. She said, you got thin. And I said, yeah. And then she said, well, now that you're thin, she says, you're you may be a candidate for um, surgery on your nose because um, if your numbers are are somewhat better but you still have sleep apnea, then we could probably do this surgery so you don't have to use CPAP anymore. She said, or if your numbers are really good, then we'll just say goodbye. So I had the sleep study done on December 30th, and today before our podcast, I sent her an email and I asked her if she had the results of that test yet. And um, she emailed me back, and she said, "I had my it's with sleep apnea. It's a number of AHI, I think is the number. And um, I was a 5.3, and normal is five or below. So she said, you don't need to use your CPAP machine anymore. And I had told her, I said, my husband says I don't snore anymore. I said, but my daughter says I do. And I just don't want to be keeping people awake if I'm snoring. So she sent me an email and she said, you don't need CPAP anymore. And she said, if people um, think you're snoring, you buy them a pair of earplugs because <laughs> I don't need my CPAP anymore. So that is huge. And to me, that's enough right there to keep fasting forever because if it keeps me off of a machine to sleep and be comfortable at night, that's that's. I mean, like I said, I started this for the weight loss, but that is number one for my health right there. 
I'm so happy. I'm fist pumping here. I can't believe that. It's thank you for sharing that recent news with us. And how great is that? And I'm so proud of you. And I can't imagine what it's like for someone to tell you that I never used one of those machines before. So I don't know what it's like, but I can imagine they're quite restrictive. But tell us about some of your other NSVs and um, health benefits as well. Okay. Um, we already went over the inflammation. So that was a big one. Um, the other ones would probably be like my energy level. Um, I have horses and I got to the last few years where doing chores, picking up hay bales, pushing my wheelbarrow, carrying water buckets, I would just be huffing and puffing. And I think this is just ridiculous because I should not be huffing and puffing because I'm taking care of my horses. And again, it was like, well, I guess this is just how I am. You know, that was my mindset back back a couple years ago. And now I can, you know, do these things with much more energy. And now I look at it as um, the chores. It's not really chores as much as um, getting my cardio in and getting my weightlifting in. So I'm using and thinking of as a positive. And then, um, like, with my, my grandchild, it's like he wants to run around and play. And I want to be able to do those things. I want to be running around and being the fun nana. You know, I don't want to be one that I can't do that. I can't keep up to you. I want to be on the playground. I want to be pushing on the swing and crawling up the slides. You know, I want to be able to do all those things with him. So um, the energy and let's see, um, why, just walking. I It's amazing how lazy you get. I'm going to say lazy because it is. I, I used to walk and walk and walk and walk. And then as I put more and more weight on, I just got to the point where it's like, this this doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Why why do I bother? And now I know, you know, with the old calories in, calories out, I can never exercise enough. Of course, way back when I told you I was working out in the gym, that was two hours a day to feel that good. I, I exercised two hours a day. And I, when I quit doing that, I knew that's what it was going to take to get fit again. And I just didn't have it in me to do that. I'm like, I don't have two hours a day. I'm not going to do that again. So I just let myself get kind of lazy and sloppy. And now that um, I lost the weight through intermittent fasting, now I walk because I want to walk. I want to go out and get out in the fresh air. And it's not to lose weight because I realize calories in does not equal calories out. You're never going to get there without giving your body a break from the food. You can't just keep eating all day long and then go for a half hour walk and expect it to do anything. And I use my walks now. Um, and also before I go to bed at night, this is my study time. This is when I put on the fasting highway or uh, listen to Dr. Fong or anything. That's, that's what I do when I'm walking. I'm not listening to music. I'm listening to podcast about intermittent fasting because I'm I, you know I said I was a procrastinator but once I'm involved in something I go all out that's just my personality I think I have kind of an obsessive personality I um, got into horses and for 10-15 years I couldn't have a conversation without talking about horses I just well you and I know how horses are with your wife being involved in horses it's it really takes on a big part of your life when you're involved in a major hobby like that. And now I'm into quilting, so I have to learn how to paper piece and how to applique and how to, you know, 
free motion quilt. Like I have to learn all the things. I have to learn all about it. I have to try it all. And now that's me with intermittent fasting. It's like I don't ever do anything halfway. It's like if I'm going to learn about this, I'm going to give it my 100% so that I'm going to, you know, if it's going to work, it's going to work. I'll give it a try, but I'm all in. I So I have to listen to the podcast. I have to listen to the doctors. And I mean, I have a YouTube channel that's just full of doctors because I don't really go on too much the advice of just anybody. It's got to be, It's. I want it to be a doctor. I want somebody that can explain it, like Dr. Fung, who can explain why we gain weight, why we're losing weight with intermittent fasting. And then I can't shut up about it. It's the same with the horses and the quilting. Now it's intermittent fasting. If I learn something and, and get passionate about it, and I know it's good for you, I know that it would help you. I just feel like it would be a major disservice to not tell people about it. And that's what's frustrating is I feel like enough doctors don't know about it. They don't learn about it. Like Dr. Fung says, doctors don't even learn about this stuff. They just learn what pills to give you when you get sick. Um, I just had my physical the end of the year, December 30th. And um, I talked to my doctor because my doctor actually said I had a health screening done and my high cholesterol, my bad cholesterol is high. And I need to find out from Dr. Fung's um, associate, that Megan, I can't, you probably know her last name. I can't think of it right now, but I guess she did a, did some research on this, why people that intermittent fast, bad cholesterol numbers sometimes goes up. And my doctor said that my good cholesterol number is really good, my ratio is really good, but that high numbers also, that bad cholesterol number is also high. And I said, I'm not worried about it. I said, because I was warned this was going to happen on different um social media sites I'm on, a lot of people that fast have this cholesterol number go up. And she was looking at all my other numbers and she said, you're right. She said, everything else on here is fantastic. I mean, I had a score of 95 out of a possible 100. The only thing that was a bad score was that, that darn number. And she said, now you have me thinking. She goes, I need to research this. I want to research more about it because she said, you're right. Your other numbers are great. And um, there is a history there of my numbers from last year. And she's like, that just doesn't make any sense to me why that number would be worse than last year when you're taking so much better care of your health. So that's something I still have to research on. So I love to learn. I want to talk now about your support networks. You mentioned some colleagues are fasting with you at work and a big shout out to your colleagues there that work with you. How's this support been for you? Have you had any negativity? Has it all, always been pretty plain sailing with that sort of thing? Um, um, well, my biggest support is my husband. He has always supported everything I do. He's my life partner. He's made this so easy for me because... When I told him I was going to start doing this, he was like, well, what's the big deal? That's how I live all the time. And we both kind of had this aha moment because he never ate breakfast, really. And we realized, well, and he used to say to me, like, and I always took it as a cut at first. Now I get it. But every once in a while, we'd hit, like, we went on a cruise one year. And it was going to be all the food you wanted to eat. And he said to me before we ever went, 
He goes, I don't want you to be telling me to eat this and eat that, that we got to eat all this stuff. He goes, because I'm not going to want to. And I thought, what a weird thing to say. Because I didn't get it that he really isn't hungry all the time. Because I looked, I was at the point back then when that all sounded really great to me. And I couldn't imagine, like, why are you making this such a big deal that I'm not supposed to tell you to eat all the stuff? So, you know, that was years ago. But now I realize that it, that is how he felt about it then. And that is how he feels about it now. And he just naturally intermittent fast. It's, it would be nothing for him to, um, grill out a bunch of burgers for the family and then say, I'm not going to eat. What do you mean you're not going to eat? I'm not hungry. You just made all this food and you're not going to eat. I, we'd almost get in a fight over it because I'd be like, you're not going to eat. No, I'm not hungry. And I just never got it. And so when I started fasting, he was very sweet about it because he just wouldn't eat then either around me. And it got to be like a fun thing. Like we, I, I would fast during the day and I, I was drinking, um, you didn't bring this up, but I know you will at some point, so I'm just going to mention it now. I was drinking my black coffee, which was really, really hard for me at first because I, I just love my cream. Oh, I thought, and I didn't even start drinking coffee until I was like 52. So I didn't always drink coffee, but black coffee, I just thought was disgusting. And, and so I didn't like the idea of giving up my, my cream, but I did it because, you know, Jen Stevens, you got to have the clean fast. And I know you're about that now too, but I didn't know you at, yet, that, yet at that time. So I was just listening to Jen. And when I'm giving things my all, I got to do it by the book because otherwise I'm going to feel like if I failed, it's because I didn't do the one thing that they told me to do. So I was clean fasting and so my husband was really good. Like he didn't eat around me. And then when uh, lunchtime would come, cause I was like eating twice a day then. And I still do sometimes now too. I switch my windows up all the time, but then we'd go out for dinner or something and I'd have a nice steak sandwich, a couple drinks, you know, we do whatever we want. And then he would be so, so fun to be around because he would say to people, he'd start talking to people at the table next to us and he'd say, we're, in, we're, we're intermittent fasters, as in we, him and I together are intermittent fasters. And I thought that was so darn. I wanted to talk to you too. Obviously, you've got a bit of experience now. And you're helping other people with this. Is that something you want to do more in the future is encourage other people to do it and get involved with it? Absolutely. You know, I just, I, I could talk about this all day. Anybody that's interested, I want them to know all about it. Um, today at work, I brought it up to a, to a guy because there was a coworker that uh, a couple weeks ago, we had to call the ambulance because he's having a heart attack or something was up with his heart. And so today, you know, I said, how are you doing? And his doctor has told him um, to eat a certain diet, cut out fat, cut out something else. I don't remember what. And then he said to me, and I'm supposed to eat like six times a day. And I was just thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, and I'm not a doctor. I'm not I'm certainly not a cardiologist, but... I just said to him, I said, would you do me a favor and listen to Dr. Jason Fung, um, this YouTube video, I'm going to send it to you. 
And then there's another doctor out there too, and I'm I'm gonna destroy his name, so I'm not gonna say it. But um, there's this cardiologist that's big into intermittent fasting too. I don't know if you know who he is, but I sent him uh, his YouTube video too, because I said intermittent fasting just has so many health benefits. You know, I started for the weight loss, but there's so many benefits, and I I always tell my girlfriends like I feel so much younger. I have so much more energy. I'm enjoying my life so much more. And I want my friends with me. I I wish schools and doctors would all be on board and learn about intermittent fasting and that we don't have to be eating all the time and we don't need to be eating all this sugar. You know, and um, Dr. Fung talks about that too. Like, we don't need the after lunch, after school snacks. We don't need the, oh my God, we're going to go play soccer, the soccer snack. We don't need the snacks before bed. We don't need the snacks because you were, you know, did a good job on this or whatever. It's just snack, we're snacking ourselves to death, literally snacking ourselves to death. And that's the kind of thing, you know, I'm one person, but I feel like this should be common common news this shouldn't be something where i have to explain this all to my friends and hope that they'll believe me and hope that they jump on the wagon with me and want to do want to do this intermittent fasting and and starting to think about i'm eating foods from the outside of the aisle instead of eating all the chips and cookies and all the stuff with the barcodes on it it just is common sense now, but I didn't know that before. I just feel like now I know that it's it's common sense. And so I push push people to watch those videos because I really can't explain it all that well myself, but a doctor can. A doctor who understands intermittent fasting can explain it to you and tell you how it's going to help you. And, you know, people have had their diabetes reversed and how we don't, I think we don't even know the tip of the iceberg of what intermittent fasting can do for you. It's just even watching my own um, recomposition of my body, just my just my experiences, you know, I lost all this weight kind of all at once. And then my the skin on my legs was kind of hanging like crepey skin. And I was like, ah, that's what women call crepey skin. I never knew what that was before. And then I thought, how am I going to what am I going to do with this now? That's kind of weird. And then I thought, well, I guess that's what I got to live with is this crepey loose skin on my legs. And I didn't really think too much about it. I thought that's going to be my legs from now on. And um, I got a vibration uh, turbo, my pro turbo um, vibration plate. And I stand on that and I thought, well, maybe that will help, you know, and I use, um, resistant bands on there and I lift like 10 pound weights and do a little bit of um, weightlifting and stuff on there and little by little those legs firmed up you know I just noticed it yesterday morning I said to Scott my husband I'm like hey that um, crinkly skin I had on my legs is is all better and I think that's um, due to autophagy which we haven't really talked about but the benefits of fasting past about 18 hours is, you know, the autophagy. Yeah, and I think it's that fine line, isn't it, between 
ramming it down people's throats and telling people that are actually interested or, or come to you, they gravitate towards you, they see your results, and I know that for myself. But, like, I can't walk around shopping centers and go up to obese people now and say, hey, do you want to hear about intermittent fasting? Because they're going to look at me as a fit, healthy-looking guy and say, what would you know about being obese? <laughs> right. And so, well, that's the reason I started this podcast, the reason I wrote the book, I've said it before, um, I thought, well, if somebody that's obese and they can actually see a story or somebody that's lived it, because I think it's really important to know the science. But for me personally, I love listening to real stories about it from real people that have actually done it and lived it and breathed it. Because there are some scientists and doctors out there that even though they understand the science intimately, they've never actually lived in an obese person's body. And so it's important to engage with people that have been in that. That's where the Facebook groups are great because you're in a group, it's like your own tribe, for instance. They understand the struggle. They resonate with it. They've been there. They've done it. They've lived it. And then once you actually get the weight off with fasting, then you go into the maintenance phase. Well, the maintenance phase is a completely different ballgame to actually losing the weight. And so I guess that's ahead of you now. Have you thought much about the maintenance phase? I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because I'm, I don't feel deprived of anything. I, um, I, I tell people I probably eat more now than I did before. You know, I, that's the thing with the, the insulin spike. I, I tell my friends, you know, it's not, I don't want you to think that, I think people think I walk around starving all day. And it's not like that at all. You know, I say I probably eat more now than I was before. It's just that I don't walk through the kitchen and see a cookie and grab a cookie and then later grab a couple chips and later grab this and grab that and have a can of soda at my desk all day. And, you know, even if I do drink a soda, you know, sometimes at work, some of us will be like my one coworker has gets headaches. And so she'll say, I just want to have a soda. So I know I'm going to get rid of this headache. And it's like just... I just drink it with my meal. You know, I just, I don't have it sitting there all day because it's the insulin spikes every few minutes, you know, and I tell them you can't, you can't, um, burn fat if your insulin is spiked and every time you put something in your mouth, your insulin spikes. So you can't do both. You can't, you can't spike your insulin, which stores fat and burn fat at the same time. It's just not possible. So if you can just hold things off, I can, I can wait for anything till noon. You know, it's not, it's not hard. It's, it's not saying, no, I can't have this amount of food. It's just you wait until later and, you know, and then, and then the appetite correction was something we probably didn't mention yet. I, I notice now, I don't know where I heard about it, but that when you sigh, when you're eating and you have that that sigh, that's your cue, quit eating. You had enough. And I never realized that before. You know, I, you think about it like when you have a big Thanksgiving meal and everybody wants to sit down and go to sleep and everybody has, you know, the big old heavy sigh. But every anybody, when you're eating, will sigh when they're when they when they are to the point where they're satisfied and if i ignore that now if i ignore that body cue then i'll overeat then i'll feel like i you know like i'm like i stuffed myself and i'll feel uncomfortable that i ate so much 
but um my 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 I just don't need as much. That's probably a natural progression of fasting, Laurie, where we strike that appetite correction, and you're right about the side. And I sort of, when I'm mentoring and teaching people about fasting, I say to them, look, once you get to that point where you feel full, you'll, that sigh, it almost becomes deafening after a while. It's so pronounced that you just go, yeah, I'm done. And it doesn't matter if your window is one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours. Once you get to that point where you're full and satisfied, that's the time to stop. Because then if you think to yourself, hey, I've got another 40 minutes in my window, I'm just going to keep eating. Then you get to that point where you feel stuffed and it's just counteractive to what you're doing. So learning to eat to our true hunger signals, learning to eat to we're full and satisfied and not over full that we have to go and lie on the couch like everybody does at Thanksgiving and Christmas and undo their belt because they have to. I mean, those days are sort of over once you become an intermittent faster for a period of time that appetite correction really kicks in. We don't need as much fuel for our bodies as what we're being led to believe, do we? Well, I think that you get used to that, and then you really think you do. Um, You know, like I said, I used to eat breakfast so that I wouldn't be so hungry for lunch, and then I'd eat lunch, and then I'd eat dinner. And the more times you eat, it becomes habitual to your body that your body thinks it needs to be eating all those times a day. And I, I'm trying to um, talk to one of my friends right now that fasted 22 hours yesterday, and she said, oh, I got so hangry at, you know, about 1 o'clock, but she pushed through it, and she said, you said this gets easier, does it really? And I said, yes, it does. I said, you're not always going to feel that hungry. And, I, you know, I explained it to her like – um you don't need to put more food in your mouth to feed your body because if you're fasting and you feel hungry, just go for a walk, listen to some music, do something to keep yourself busy, and I guarantee in a half hour you're not going to feel hungry anymore because your body is like a little Pac-Man inside and it's eating up your fat. So I just look at it like instead of, your body taking in more food through your mouth that it's just eating up the fat from your fat stores, you know? And so I try to make it sound like something easy like that, that people can remember because the hunger goes away. You still fed yourself. It's just, where did the food come from? Did it come from something you put in your mouth or did it come from your fat stores? And I would rather have it come from my fat stores than eat some more food that goes in my fat stores. And I think that's important that, you know, when you start out fasting, people often say to me, oh, where do I start? And I'll say, hey, you start where you're comfortable with. Start slow and just keep working up. And then once you sort of get up that sort of 18, 20-hour mark, that fat-burning process kind of ramps up, doesn't it, Laurie? Yes. And, you know, like I I plateaued for four months. You know, I, I said I lost most of the weight right away in four months. And then um, the last four months, I've been plateaued. But I was trying to get to 125. That was my magic number. And to be honest, when I first started fasting, I thought, wouldn't it be awesome if I could get to like 135, 140? And that came so fast. So I was like, well, now I need a new goal. So I thought, what better goal would it be than to weigh what I weighed in high school. Like, I never thought I would see that number again. But that was my new goal. And um, I was, since 
August, I've been like anywhere between 127 and 130. I would just go up and down and up and down, up and down these three pounds. And then towards the end of the year, I thought if I'm going to meet my goal 125, I want it to be by the end of the year. So that's when I really started kicking into the OMAD one meal a day and um, having longer fasts and, you know, reaching almost to like that 24 hours. And I thought, I don't have to keep doing this. It's not like um, I can't go back to eating two meals a day whenever I want. Or, you know, that's what I love about it. You can do whatever you want. You can eat one meal a day, two meals tomorrow. You can have a half hour window or an eight hour window. I jump all around. I'm not. I'm not set on any one thing. So I thought to get to my goal, I'm going to go to one meal a day. And I, I tell the girls on my Facebook page, this is what I'm doing because, you know, I want to I want to support them if they want to try it too. And I want to do it to kind of keep myself accountable that that's what I'm doing. Did I make it every day? No, but that's okay. I don't care. <laughs> For the most part, I was getting one meal a day. And then on December 31st, I got to 125 and I just giggled to myself. I was like, December 31st and that's when I posted on your Facebook page that I did it by the last day of the year. Yeah, it's important to be flexible, Laurie, and the longer you go in this lifestyle, as I mentioned before, you tend to become more of an intuitive faster and a more of an intuitive eater, eating to that true hunger and you do some days change it up a bit but I call it vigilance without obsession maintenance and I think that's a great place to be. And I think you've always got those tools of fasting. And you know, okay, I had Christmas, so I might have spiked up two or three pounds. But you know, you go back in the new year, you start your fasting, and away you go. And that comes off probably in a couple of days because it's mainly water weight from the extra carbs and volume and all that sort of thing. And people often fret about that sort of thing. But speaking of weighing, Laurie, do you weigh every day? I do. I do. Um, I just got to say, though, um, before I talk about the weighing, even though Christmas came and went, I ate cookies and pies and all that good stuff, but I still had my 16-hour window because to me that, or my 16-hour fasting time, because to me that's just my line. I don't care what day it is. You know, maybe if I'm on vacation, I'll go to where I'll eat, um, you know, less, I won't have a 16-hour window, but to me, even Christmas is doable because you can still eat whatever you want in the afternoon for, for dinner. Um, but the scale, yes. And I, I'll say I, with the scale, sometimes I feel like a little obsessive about that too. But, um, I tell myself, cause I know it's true. And I also share this with my friends. That number on the scale is, just a number to me that's data for me. I know of other people through the um, Facebook pages that might weigh 160 and they're a size 2. You know, so I know that that number doesn't go along with size. And um, it's just data. And I, you know, I just got to talk to you about the, the clothing. And I've heard you talk about um, your clothing experiences, too, and your shopping experiences and how it's different and how you're treated differently. I've, I've heard that. And I just want to reiterate that, how true that is and how um, clothing and shopping and that is, it, it can be so, such a dramatic thing for people, too. I, when I was a size 12, um, 160 pounds. I was like size 12, maybe a 14. 
and they were snug and I would try to find the stretchy material and I hated shopping because I thought I could never find clothes that fit me decent. It would be depressing to me. Like I, none of these clothes fit. I don't, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I it, going to the store was a chore for me. I didn't like it. And then when I started losing weight, I would not take myself shopping for the longest time. It got to be because I didn't trust myself that I wasn't going to gain that weight back. My mind played tricks on me. And I didn't go shopping until those size 12 pants were literally like falling down like like I needed a belt. So I thought after, you know, after I lost that much weight, I don't remember how much the weight was because, like I said, that doesn't matter really anymore the number. Um, but I went shopping and I went to go get myself. I said, I deserve it. I worked hard. Not really. You don't really work hard. <laughs> but I, I'm going to, I've been at this long enough now. I'm going to go get myself a pair of size 10 jeans. I haven't been in a size 10 jeans since high school, but I'm going to go get myself a pair of size 10 jeans. I went to the store. All the 10s were too big. I couldn't believe it. I needed an eight. I needed an eight. And I've never worn an eight. So I was just like, hi, that day. Like, I can't believe this. So I got that pair of pants. I went another month, Graham, without <laughs> buying any more clothes because I just didn't trust myself. I thought, I'm, who am I kidding? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna keep that weight off. Why, sp why blow your money on clothes that you're not gonna be able to stay in? So after a long time went by, okay, I'm going to get myself one more pair of pants. Go to the store. The eights didn't fit. I needed a six. And I thought, that can't be. So I started grabbing all these pants off the rack, all these different company brands, all these different styles. And I take them all into the dressing room. And lo and behold, I was a six. Like I, in many different pairs, I was a six. And that's where I'm, that's where I am still now is a six, not a four, not an eight. I'm a true six, but it's kind of funny. I go to get dressed in the morning and your brain, your brain plays such tricks on you because I still, when I go to get dressed in the morning, I kind of hold my breath. Are they still going to fit me today? Because I don't know if it's men too or if it's women or just some people. Not others, but I, I just can't seem to tell myself that's really me now. And that's where I'm going to stay. Yeah, that's a natural thing, I think, when you do lose a fair bit of weight. Um, and anything you do, I know my wife ordered me some clothes from America, from Land's End, some shirts, and they arrived here. And I looked at them and I said to her, they're not going to fit me. That's not the right size. And she goes, that's your size. I know that's your size. They're going to fit you really great. And I looked at them and I thought, they just look too small. You know, have you almost that body dysmorphia type of mm -hmm. thing when you lose a lot of weight? And I still have that. I mean, I'll go into a shop and get a 2XL and I know full well it's going to be swinging off me because I'm only really a, a large or an XL at best. And but I still do that. So you still it's interesting that you said that. But we're getting to the end of the podcast now, Laurie. But before we go, I'd just like you to share some motivation and inspiration with people out there looking to get going with fasting. What sort of a final advice could you give them? Well, um I would just say like if someone thinks that they're too old to do this or too 
have too much weight to to lose or if they feel they can't do it. I just say you're too you're too young to not do it. You're too young to die. You know, and I look I look at our majority of um lifestyles and they're making us sick. And um I saw a meme out there on on the internet one day that said the first rule of fast club is never talk about fast club. It was it was a joke, you know. But um I think all of us need to talk about Fast Club. We need to tell our family and friends how they can get healthy because I don't want my friends and family to have dementia or diabetes. Um, that was, I think that's another NSV. My memory used to be um, worse than it is now. It's still not the greatest, but I think I am thinking and remembering a little sharper now. And I really um, hope for our future with our kids that um, – that they start learning this stuff from the beginning, that it's not something that they have to learn after, after they get sick. Um, and I just think of the, you know, the doctors that always say, well, you're getting older and that's just how it is. That's not how it is. You can have more energy. You can get rid of sleep apnea. You can have better, better blood work. You can have smaller clothes. You can, you can, you can do it. If I, I, that sounds so cliche, but, true if I can do it anybody can do it so I will be here preaching to the choir <laughs> talking to anybody who will listen to me and I'm always there I you know it's kind of funny because it's like people don't want to talk about this and I don't I don't understand it you know when you have people like you me who will support you and and help you along the way I, I you know talk about it ask me a question you know, I started this Facebook group and I'm, I'm the one always putting on, you know, some inspirational things, but I would really love for them to ask questions and share their non-scale victories and share their weight loss numbers. And because there's, there's, when you have a team, it's just so much easier. And that's why I'm really grateful for my friends for doing this with me, especially the ones at work and stuff, because it's not weird. It's not, I mean, I told people the day I started doing it, I was part of my accountability to myself. I remember the date. It was April 26th. I walked into work and I said, I'm going to start doing this thing called intermittent fasting. And the other two said, great. What do we do? We're going to do it with you. Okay. And we've been doing it ever since. Exactly right. And that's great advice, Laurie. And I think it's important to surround yourself with your biggest cheerleaders and also people that understand the struggle. And that's why Facebook groups like yourselves and the Fasting Highway are great because you come and meet like-minded people and talk about it and bounce off each other. And if you're not getting that support at home like you are, and a big shout-out to your husband, we thank him very much for his support of you and understanding this lifestyle. I think it's really great when partners do that. Yeah. Well, Laurie, I can't tell you what a pleasure it has been to speak to you today. I found you very inspiring and inspirational. And congratulations on inspiring your friends and that Facebook group and other things that you do out there. We wish you well with your horse riding as well. But thank you for joining me here today on the Fasting Highway. You're very welcome. And thank you so much for asking me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Laurie. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat with you, and I found it very motivational. And I think a lot of people that have been listening to that around the world will do too. So thank you. Anyway, folks, coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to be speaking with Jeff Gherkin. And Jeff's a very popular member of the Fasting Highway Facebook group, which you're all welcome to come and join, by the way. Uh, Jeff gives us a very interesting 
uh, insightful and often at times very emotional uh, recollection of his journey with intermittent fasting so far. And so don't miss that one next week. That's Jeff Gherkin. And until then, be well, be safe, and remember, clean fasting is everlasting.